0: kind of fitting, right? We're falling into, we, we spend our prayer time this morning, and then we fall into this really powerful verse of the book of Ephesians. So, um, God, Ephesians has been quite the journey, right? It's been, uh, been really, I, I can't wait to get to the next three weeks because then we're going to do this wrap-up where we're going to kind of look at some highlights over the past year. And it's amazing to think of where we've come from. If you've been with us along this journey the whole time, we started off with this sort of, deep theological kind of premise of who we are in Christ and and Paul has moved the church through these deep theological trenches into the reality of what it means to actually live For him, and he's broken that down in terms of marriage and sexuality and all of these things that the world wants to just pound on us with. And he's given us this sort of strength to be able to stand under it. And as he gets to the end of this book, he looks at the church and he says, Church, you are essentially going to be under fire all the time. You are going to be in a war, a war that is not like any conventional war or battle you've ever seen, a war that you actually can't pinpoint. It's spiritual. And he tells the church in Ephesians 6, he says, this battle is not against any enemy that you can see. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your enemy next door that wants to just quit quit having you do X, Y, or Z. This is a spiritual battle in which the enemy wants to destroy your life. It's a battle that can only be fought spiritual because that's where it exists. And then he begins to lay out the foundation by which the church will need to begin to fight this battle. He does it through this picture of the armor of God. We've been looking at it for the past three weeks, right? He talks about the fact that we have been, got to be ready to fight this battle, and we've been given all the tools that we need in Christ already. And he lays those out. And Brandon and I have spent the past weeks really looking at those. We did it in a couple of weeks, right? We talked about the idea of the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and our feet fitted with the gospel. We talked about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and all these things that have come to become our tools to defend ourselves against the enemy, the onslaught of an enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy you. The enemy is not some metaphor for evil or bad things. The enemy is a very real entity that wants to destroy your life. And there is a battle being waged over your heart that is spiritual. And if you feel it, you've ever ever felt it, you will know how true it really is. It's seizing. We begin to believe lies. The enemy whispers into the most tender places of our heart, the places that we know to be true. And he begins to call into question, right? Same way he did with Eve. Surely God didn't say, surely God won't actually take care of this, protect you, provide you, answer this, do this. The enemy begins to whisper into all those areas, all those tender places to remind you how insignificant you are, what a failure you are, how many mistakes you've made. And so Paul says, church, you have to be ready to fight this battle. And last week we talked about that last little piece, which is the sword of the spirit that we've been given, right? That God's word is the offensive weapon that we have to destroy the lies of the enemy. Because not only is God's word truth, it is divine truth. And it is the offensive weapon that we have. And we have to know it. We have to understand it. We have to be able to call upon it. We kind of explored that. Well, Paul's going to wrap all of this idea of the armor of God up with one other weapon that we have that is both offensive and defensive in its nature, and it's the only weapon in which we really truly have the ability to fight the spiritual battle. And as you can guess, that weapon is prayer. It's the way in which we go to battle against the onslaught of the enemy. It's one thing to call upon God's word. It's another thing to pray God's word against the movement of a very real enemy. And this morning, we're going to look at exactly how to do that, and we're going to look at one verse. It's the last verse that ties all this armor of God together before we move into that sort of closing statement that Paul's going to make in the book of Ephesians. So if you got your Bible, I want you to open up to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verse 18. One verse this morning, <clears throat> but as you can imagine, there's a lot there. There's a lot, lot there when we start to talk about prayer. Some of these things we've talked about before, some of them we've uh, kind of hit on, but they're, they're really powerful and they're, they're right there in front of us. So let's take a moment this morning and let's look at those together. And I'll pray very quickly because we, we just did a little bit of that kind of an extended way. So Lord, we ask that you would teach our hearts this morning, that you would teach us to be men and women and children of prayer, that you would show us how this weapon that you have given us is both offensive and defensive in nature and we are called to it that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts and the power of God at our fingertips. Lord, move in us and teach us. Take a moment in your heart this morning right now and just say, God, teach me through your word. Just speak that in your heart. God, teach me through your word. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. This will become abundantly clear while we do this this here in just a little bit. But pray for their spiritual growth. Pray that God would move in them. If it's your spouse or your friend or your child or just somebody you don't even know, pray for them. We do this every single week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Care deeply about the people around you. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified through this simple verse, simple yet powerful call that we have as believers to take seriously the invitation and the call to prayer. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So I want to read Ephesians 6:10 through 18 but we're only going to be focusing on 18 but I want you to hear all these things in context because 18 is the end cap on this picture of the armor of God and this is what he says. So finally be strong in the Lord. <coughs> excuse me. And in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18 will be today. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So the in cap right there on this armor of God, right, on the, the belt of truth and the feet fitted with the gospel and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, right, the shield of faith, the end cap on all this is that in verse 18, and pray. So take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So prayer becomes the very end cap, the the sort of crowning call of this movement that is the church's call to fight against the onslaught of the enemy, to put on the full armor of God that it does no good for us just to stand there, but that we have to become active in this battle. And the way we do that is through prayer. And most of us, right, would acknowledge the reality of the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. Like, we know that to be true. But very few of us take it as seriously as Paul calls us to. Prayer becomes somewhat of an afterthought. It's something that we do at mealtime or maybe with, before bed with our children. Or maybe if we feel especially pressured, we may find ourselves in prayer. But very few of us see prayer as a battle cry, something that we are called to do in an offensive and defensive way to protect our homes and our lives and our hearts. against an onslaught of an enemy that is extremely real. We recognize the value of prayer, but we don't take those things seriously. If you think I'm kidding, just ask yourself what happens when you bump into someone at work and they say, hey... If you do me a favor, will you pray for me? And you say, absolutely, I'll pray for you. How many of you actually follow up on that? 10% of us, maybe. And if so, it's sort of an afterthought. We don't take these movements seriously. When's the last time you grabbed that person's hand and said, okay, let's do that now? Prayer becomes something we ask for other people as a token because we're asking for support as opposed to asking them to do battle for us we understood the nature of prayer, it would change things entirely. I mentioned this before, but my favorite sort of picture of prayer comes from a 19th century Norwegian theologian, a random guy by the name of Ol Haldsby, which is a funny sounding name. But what he says about prayer is this. He says that prayer, right, prayer is the breath of the soul, the organ by which we receive Christ into our parched and withered hearts. That's how he defines it. Like prayer is the breath of the soul the organ by which we receive Christ into our parched and withered hearts. So prayer becomes this life-giving thing that we are called to use to not only sustain our life, but protect and sustain the lives of the people around us. That without prayer, we have no access to Christ and our hearts begin to wither and die a slow suffocation of death. And I can promise you this, that if you are feeling in your life right now like you are living in the middle of spiritual mediocrity, that you are going through a lot of emotions. that your life lacks passion spiritually, that you're doing a few of the right things, but you just don't have what you would consider deep, real life, I will tell you that you can probably chase it down to two things. One, your time in prayer, and two, your time in the Word. Almost all of our slowly dying lack of getting oxygen and breath and life into our lungs is because our prayer life and our time in the Word is usually being strangled out by life and its things. And when that happens, right, as Halsby says, we cease to begin to get Christ to our parched and withered hearts. Now, if prayer is the very lifeline of that, right, then it would only make sense that the more that we open that lifeline, the more flooded our life becomes with actual existence and life and vitality and things and joy, all the things that the Lord wants to lavish upon it. The more you open those veins, the more life is given. The more those veins pump lifeblood into your soul, the more energy that you have, the more joy fills your soul. It's the great call of the believer, but Paul actually takes it one step farther, and he says, not only is it the great call, but it's actually a call to do something significant. It becomes a tool, a weapon, an offensive and defensive weapon in which you can fight the enemy. If you feel the onslaught of the enemy, like life is overpowering and pressing down on you on all sides, and it feels like you never get a break, and one thing leads to another and another and another, and there's never a whisper of, of, of reprieve in your life, Paul puts prayer at the end of that cap saying there is a spiritual war that is being waged over your life in which the enemy wants to render you not only ineffective he wants to drain the lifeblood out of your soul and he does that by putting a stranglehold on your prayer life because we begin to get too busy too preoccupied or maybe god doesn't really want to hear about this or maybe i just not even thinking about it's not even my idea just to go before the lord and the enemy begins to close off that vein. And as you do, you slowly begin to starve of oxygen and life-giving blood. We can't fight, right? We're not willing to pick up the weapon. So Paul says this. This becomes the end cap. And he's going to give us a couple of really important calls here in this call to prayer. So we've got to understand the nature and the importance of that call. But he says this. He says, but we should at all times, right, and we should pray in the Spirit, At all times, with all kinds of prayers and requests. There's three little things there, right? So the first thing he calls us to do is to pray in the Spirit, which begs the question, what does that really mean? Well, we're actually called in Scripture to do a whole lot of things in the Spirit. Right, It's not a new concept. Jude 20 actually calls us to pray in the Spirit also. But there's a lot of things we're called to do. Right, Galatians tells us that we're called to walk in the Spirit. Romans tells us that we're called to cast out the dead things in our life in the Spirit. Galatians 1 tells us that we're to, to take uh, the action in our, that it's in our brother's life and help redeem them in the Spirit of God. Corinthians talks about worshiping in the Spirit. Like There's countless places in which we're called to do this. And what that means for the life of a believer is it means that we are called to let the Holy Spirit dwells dwells in us, lead the way. That we are called to fall upon the Spirit of God to be the guide, the instant, the one that moves us forward, the one that gives direction, the one that we chase and follow. That our prayers and our actions and our life and our worship aren't guided by ourselves and my own humanity, but instead I say, God, what do you desire? Where are you leading? What do you want? Praying in the Spirit means that I yield to that. It's actually not a call to pray in a tongue. There's Perfectly that call in Scripture, but it's not here. This is a moment in which at every breath and at every turn, we call upon the Lord and we pray in the Spirit. And Romans tells us what it looks like, right? Romans 8 has this great picture of that where he says, look, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we we don't know what we should pray for. But the Spirit who searches our hearts and knows the mind of God, right, intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express on our behalf. What that essentially means is this is that life is full of these things that we have like we had this morning where we have no idea how to even combat these things. How do you begin to pray? For someone that is wrestling or our own lives that are dealing with tragedy and things. And how do we even begin to know how to ask God for those things? For peace. When I'm afraid that the blessing he's given me he's going to take away. Or that I'm afraid that God is going to all of a sudden not show up. Or something so tragic has happened in the lives of other people. I don't even know what to pray for because it seems so trivial to say, God, give them peace. When they found out their daughter is dying. These moments of weakness where we just don't know what to do or have been so overcome with the same sin or the same struggle time and time again, the same stinking lie from the enemy that it seems almost silly to go before the Lord and say, I still don't know how to do this. Romans says in our weakness, our weakness, in all of our humanity, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the spirit who dwells in us searches our hearts and knows the very heartbeat of God. And he intercedes with groans that words cannot express. You know what that means? That means that the spirit that dwells in us knows our heart and knows the Lord. And when we can't muster the words or the phrases or the idea. The Holy Spirit steps in and says, this is exactly, Lord, what we're crying out for. To pray in the spirit means that, hey, I'm just going to be led and trust that God is going to do what God does. Lord, as you call me to pray, I'm going to pray. When the Spirit wakes you up at 2 in the morning or He tells you to pray for a coworker, praying in the Spirit means at that moment that's exactly what I do. I don't sketch it in the back of a book and try and remind myself later. I stop in the moment. I've been prompted by the Spirit of God to pray, and therefore I will. Let's do that now. Praying in the Spirit means that I don't have to have it all formulated out and written out perfectly and sound great for other people. I don't have to have a separate prayer voice that sounds super pastory, or I don't have to know these words or even have a full total grasp of all of Scripture. But I can let the Holy Spirit guide my thoughts. In the same way that we're called to worship in the Spirit, right? It's saying, God, I release control of myself to you. That I want to worship in you what you call me to do, where you call me to be free, where you call me to release my inhibitions or my fears of what it means to be a person or looked upon or or what other people are going to think. I just release all that. In the same way Paul says, and you, pray in the Spirit. This is a spiritual battle we are in. We are called to be led by the Spirit of God in prayer and release our inhibitions in the Spirit of God in prayer. Seems trivial, but it's super important because it means that our prayer life doesn't have to be crafted. I've been in my own time when I'm praying, often wonder, uh, I have to correct myself and be, God, you know, it's not really what I meant. I didn't mean it like that. And I'm like, as if God didn't know that, right? He's like, oh, good, because I was super confused. I didn't, I was really caught off guard by your lack of the use of the word thou there or amongst us or whatever. So uh, if you could use some more old English, really, that really helps me out. We don't have to have these things crafted. Praying in the Spirit means that when the Spirit of God prompts me, which is at every moment of every day, I just do it. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but we're called to pray at all times. Right? He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all prayers and requests. You know what all occasions means? It's a really complicated Greek phrase that means on all occasions. the idea that comes out of 1 Thessalonians that says pray continually or the idea that comes out of Timothy that says devote yourselves to prayer. These same things are what it means that at all times we are called to be in this constant place of communication with God. How do you pray at all times? Like is that possible? Well, no, it's not possible if your idea of prayer is sitting on your knees, leaning on your bed or holding hands with your family around a meal. We literally cannot do that at all times. That doesn't exist. But if prayer... The definition is that I'm in constant communication with God by which it is the organ that I receive Christ into my parched and withered hearts that I can constantly and always communicate with God at any moment because He dwells in me. That in any thought, I can ask God to take captive, to rid that of me. That I don't have to fall upon my knees in some perfect prayer posture. That if I feel the enemy coming against my heart, speaking lies to me in that moment as I'm driving, as I'm walking, as I'm standing in class, whatever it is, I can say, God, take this from me. Praying in the Spirit at all times is being ready to hear the Spirit and willing in that moment to communicate with God saying, I will not give in to this lie. I know it's a lie. When he says on all occasions, he means on all occasions and at all times. Now, we don't always turn to God on all occasions, do we? We like to think we do, but we typically don't. When even in the good, right? In the bad, sometimes we turn to our spouse or we turn to a friend or we turn to the internet to find out how to answer this problem. Or even in the good, we turn to social media for that sort of applause for our hearts. God wants to be the place that we turn to at all times. First and foremost, above every relationship and above every other thing and the good and the bad on all occasions, God wants to be in that place in your life where he is first and foremost always. He gets the best and he gets the first. This entire principle that we have when it comes to tithing and giving, right, is not because God needs our money. It's because God wants our first and our best. And same thing in our prayer life on all occasions means that God wants us to be the place that we turn first and foremost at all times. That there is never an inappropriate time to call upon the Lord. And remember, prayer doesn't have to be this vocal thing in which you stand on the street corner like the Pharisees in your colored robes and you let people see you. You can literally be walking up and down the hallway at work or just turning the corner and just say, God, I just need your strength today. I feel crummy. Or, Lord, I feel really susceptible to the lies of the enemy today, and he's got me, and so I need you to strengthen me. Or, I have so little grace for my spouse today, Lord, that I need you to change my heart. This is an all occasions constant thing. And he says, and pray on all occasions, right, with all kinds of prayers and requests. You know, there's nothing that is off limits to of the Lord. Nothing. The amazing thing about it is we hide things in our heart as if the Lord doesn't know about them, right? Right? Even the way that we talk about our own sin, we use words that are probably a little bit nicer sounding than they are. If you haven't cussed while you're praying, you probably have never really prayed, right? God already knows that you're feeling it in your heart, right? It might be time when you're actually wailing out to the Lord to just go ahead and let it fly. And you know why that is? Is because oftentimes we feel like we can bridge this thing in our heart and the Lord will see only the wall that we put up. He'll see the flowers that we paint. And he'll see the attempts. And we do this by praying things like this. Lord, you know that I'm trying. I'm doing the best that I can. Why do we say that to the Lord? Is that for the Lord or is it for us? We're trying to paint a picture to God that I'm not really trying to mess up this much. I'm just giving everything I've got. God knows that. And he also knows that you're actually not. But we're trying to convince him that we are. Most of our prayer life is spent painting a picture of ourselves to the Lord that is better than we actually are. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid if God sees us as who we truly are, that he's going to be disappointed or that it will pull back his blessing or any of those things. And it's such a garbage lie. God knows who you are. He knows the thought that you have before it ever even hits your mind. He knows what you're going to say before you ever utter the words. There is nothing beyond his knowledge. If you feel like a horrible, terrible, shallow, to awful person, God knows you feel that way. If you feel like you want to cuss and punch your mama in the mouth, God knows you feel that way. Like these are things he knows. So He might as well come clean before him and say, God, I am feeling like I want to punch my mama in the mouth. And I know that is not okay, but I need you to help me. Or, God, I know that I am not actually trying as hard as I can, but I'm paying lip service to you because I just don't want you to be mad at me like everybody else is. On all occasions, with all kinds of requests, means understanding that nothing is off limits to God. So my challenge in all this is become real in your prayer life. Even at the sake of being less religious, even at the sake of being less legalistic, even at the sake of being a little bit rough around the edges, Why? Because God knows it anyway. You're not painting a different picture for him that he hasn't figured out. If you're struggling, tell him you're struggling. If you're mad, tell him you're mad. If you want to yell at God, yell at him. He can't take it all. Now be prepared. God will correct. He's good at it, and he was supposed to because it tells us in the Word that he disciplines us as sons because he loves us as his children. So when you yell at the Lord, be prepared for the Lord to say, now listen to me. Like he did to Job, where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I made the seas? I get that you're frustrated now, but do you understand what I am doing for you? Like a great parent, be prepared for a God that wants to whisper truth back to you. So he calls us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Nothing is off limits. One of the great weapons the enemy has to try and help us create that wall of prayer. The enemy loves that when we're not honest before the Lord. He wants us to have a prayer life that is tokenism at best. That says a few thank yous and a few thank you for this meal and God you've been really good to us and you know all those sort of things and I want to pray for my neighbor. I know she's struggling and that's where our prayer life begins and ends. The enemy does not want us to do what Jenny asked this morning, which is pray for peace in our homes. He doesn't want us to pray for the things that will be gospel oriented life changing for the people around us. He doesn't want us to do that. He is going to try and destroy that urge in you. The enemy wants your life to be he wants your prayer life to be mediocre. He just does. And that's why Paul says, "And on all this armor of God, right? And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests." Listen to what else he says, right? He goes on to say this. Babies are mad. (laughs) So he goes on to say this, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, so with this call to prayer in mind, right? Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So with this in mind, be alert. So why be alert? Well, we're tied to this call to prayer, which is tied to the spiritual battle, which is tied to this armor of God. You know, the key factor of being alert and surviving and winning in a battle of any kind, no matter what it is, whether it's a sporting event or an actual war, is awareness. Situational awareness. That you have to be aware of what your enemy or your opponent is doing in order to combat those things. So what does Paul say? Paul says that part of your lifeline of prayer needs to be driven, excuse me, by your awareness. You have to be alert. Why? Because we are at war. Three weeks ago, I explained this thing in totality. I encourage you to go back and listen. But there is a war that is being waged around you. The enemy, Satan, the devil, is very real. It is not a metaphor for bad things. Scripture is explicit, and it is honest about the reality of the enemy that wants to do nothing but destroy your life. That his very nature is to steal, kill, and destroy, to lie and deceive. That's what he wants to do. First Peter actually tells us this. First Peter says this very thing about the nature of the devil. All right, First Peter says this. <clears throat> Man this is a good one. Five eight. He says, "Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." Why are you alert? Because the enemy isn't just trying to make you ineffective. The enemy, like a roaring lion wants to destroy and devour you. That's real. He wants to ruin your marriage. I mean ruin it. He wants to ruin who you are and who you believe you are in Christ. He wants to shatter everything in your life that has any ounce of hope. He circles in the brush around you, waiting for you to turn your back and become complicit or to become preoccupied, or to become too self-engrossed. And he creeps up, and he creeps up, and he creeps up, and the next thing you know, he has you by the jugular. And he's draining the life out of your soul. It's not an accident that Paul's using metaphors like lions, and killing, and devouring. He's using language that is incredibly harsh, and incredibly visual, and incredibly real. We play around with sin and evil and the enemy like it's some kind of joke. We toy with sin as if it doesn't matter. Our world tosses it around back and forth like it's playing some game with it and calls it by different names. And we wonder why it wiggles its way into our life and then strangles our joy and our life and our existence out. You wonder why the normal things in your life are no longer life-giving. Because the enemy has told you, and he's whispered, and he's spoken, and he's got a stranglehold of lies around your very neck, and he is choking you to death, and you let him in. You let him in. Why? Because you weren't alert. You weren't watching because you were so preoccupied with yourself. And most of the time, it's that, woe is me. I deserve more. I should have better. Why has this happened to me? We become so internally focused that the enemy begins to crouch behind us, saying, it should You should get better. Yeah, you know what? Your husband, your wife, they should treat you different. You deserve that. In fact, if I were you, I wouldn't, don't reply to that text. Be a little vindictive. You you should, right? Because you've been, been treated this way for so long. Like you should get yours back. You don't really need to do that. Surely God didn't say, don't eat of that fruit, right? He just doesn't want you to be like him. God just doesn't want you to know. And those hands or the teeth begin to sink deeper into your neck. you know how hard it is to recover from the lies of the enemy when he strangled you to death? So awareness and being alert is vital. If you're going to be in a battle, which we are in, you have got to be alert. The enemy, his lies, they look a lot like truth. Why? Because they already whisper to the places that we want to hear. We want to hear that. right? We want to hear the things that the enemy tells us. None of us really want to hear truth. We say that all the time. No, look, I, I just need you to tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. I, I look good in this, right? Or If I don't, just tell me I look fat in this dress. You look fat in that dress. Uh, no, that is not a good idea. For anybody, even when I'm wearing the dress, I don't want to tell me I look fat in it. We don't really want that. We always want to be told what we want to hear. And the enemy loves to do that. He loves to tell you that your anger is justified. Right, He loves to tell you those things that we already want to hear anyway. So Paul says, be alert. beware. It's going to look a lot like a normal day in the savannah. But in that grass, there is an enemy, and he is real, and he wants to destroy you and devour you and eat you alive and everything you care about. So then he says this, so be alert and do what? Always keep on praying for all the saints. You know, being a saint, well, let's, let's do this first. Saints is a funny word, right? We talk about this a lot. Saints is a funny word. It does not mean some super spiritual special person. It's not what the Catholic Church has sold you. The Catholic Church has sold you a bill of lies. There is no perfect person in which some group, council somewhere, has decided that they've performed three miracles, and therefore they're better than the rest of us. And if we pray to them, we get some special interference or intercession here on earth, and they can speak to God for us. That's just all a bunch of lies. Just don't believe it, right? There are, we are all saints. The truth is every single one of us. We are saints only because Christ has rescued us. And the word saints there actually is the Greek word high ghost, which just means holy ones, which we know to me means set apart ones right we talk about this all the time so to be saint to be a saint or to be holy means to be set apart so when the church paul whoever calls you a saint he's referring to the fact that you have been rescued and redeemed by Christ alone not by your own ability to do any miracles not by your own special anointing not by anything that you did in which you served super special well where you get a picture hanging on the wall and all those kind of things and people pray to you that's broken don't do it a saint is someone that has been rescued by Christ redeemed from their holiness, and therefore is holy and set apart by Christ himself. And guess who Paul calls saints in Scripture, and actually all of Scripture does? Every single believer. That means you, like it or not, are a saint, right? Not because you're pious and holy, but because you've been set apart by God. He has rescued and redeemed you. And so Paul says, and always keep on praying for all the saints. That means saints are called to pray for the saints, meaning that you and I are called to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And being a saint in those days especially was hard. I mean, it was really hard. Like, we have hard lives, and there are things that we are going through that the first century church would never have to deal with, I promise. But the things that they have walked through, you will never have to deal with. As a first century Christian living in Ephesus, you probably don't know what it would be like to have lost your family, to have been ostracized and not being invited to any more family events to be pretty much kicked out of anything that value valued in terms of community, to also be seen as a pariah by the religious establishment and by the occupying government, that every day was a day that you might most literally be killed for your faith in Christ. We talked about this last week when we talked about Polycarp. Remember, here's a guy, an 86-year-old man, who just following and trusting the Lord, when the Romans seized him and threw him into the arena and told him that if he didn't renounce Christ, they would let the wild animals eat him alive. And what did Polycarp say? He said, well, 86 years, Christ has never done me wrong, so I can't really talk bad about him now. And they got so mad, they didn't just let the animals eat him, they actually burned him alive, right there in front of everyone. (laughs) Is that what you're going to face on Monday? Or are you going to face a boss that uses funny words and talks a little down to you? The reality is being a saint was hard. And Paul knew that, and he knew the enemy was going to combat the church from the inside out. In fact, if you read any of the Pauline epistles, which are all Paul's letters, you will see the majority of his letters are written because the church is being destroyed from the inside out. Heresy is leaked in. Somebody's arguing about this. Some fight is going on, and Paul's saying, Church, listen, there is a war being waged over you. And so you need to pray for each other. Same calls for us as the church. Like we have been called to pray, brothers and sisters praying for the brothers and sisters, saints praying for saints. Why? Because life is really hard. Yeah, it was hard then. It's hard now, too. It's hard to be a believer, it's hard just to exist. It's hard to raise kids. It's hard to raise kids on financial streams that don't always match and don't always make it. It's hard to raise kids when you feel like the world is pressing in on you and on them when everything you say at home is actually spoken in the opposite way at school or in other places where everything you're telling them to guard their heart against they're being pressed in on all sides from every corner of the internet and that dumb device in their hand is speaking lies to them at every moment. It's hard. It's hard to believe those things yourself. It's hard to look at life and realize man, man, I don't just know if I can make it today. Because life is hard. But you know what? The reality is with that everything that you're struggling with, the person next to you is struggling with. Every fear that you have, they have. Every anxiety that you walk through, they walk through. You're struggling in your marriage. I promise you the people next to you are struggling in theirs. You're wondering how to make ends meet. People next to you, if they haven't figured it out yet either, Having more resources doesn't guarantee security. It just guarantees more insecurity of how are we going to continue this charade up. The reality is every single one of us at every single moment are dealing with the pressures and the struggles of life. You are not the only one whose life is being waged war over. But we do not take seriously. The church has failed. We do not take seriously the call to pray for one another. We do it in a token way. Maybe a life group when we gather together and somebody mentions that, yeah, we'll pray for the bolters, we'll pray for whatever, It's, it's what we should do. And we do that, but we don't take seriously the call to battle to pray for the saints. And we certainly don't take seriously the call to pray for all the saints. We wish that what Paul would say is pray for some of the saints, right? Pray for the ones that you like and that you're around all the time. We pray for all of them. It means all the broken ones. It means all the ones that are hard to love. It means your mom, it also means your spouse. It means that person in your group that is monopolizing of time and energy and hard and they're always struggling and they're always selfish. It means praying for that person. And it doesn't mean praying that God would show them the wrongness of their ways, right? This is how often we do this, in our, and we talk to couples, right? I pray for my spouse all the time. I pray that God would just show him that he is, or that she is wrong, <laughs> and that God would soften their heart, right? Praying that God would soften their heart. Well, probably should pray that God would soften yours, because you're probably the problem also. When we pray for all the saints, it literally means all the saints, and we should take it seriously. How many of you this morning took a few notes as we prayed together, so you could pray for those things at home? Any? Five, two, one, none. How seriously do we take this call? Here's an exercise. If you're struggling with somebody, even in your family mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, spouse, or a friend at work or a coworker or a boss or whatever I encourage you to pray for them, and not pray that their heart would change, but pray that your heart would change for them. There's a big difference in praying for the change in the heart of somebody else and praying for your heart to change for that person. Pray that God would be doing the work in you as He does whatever He needs to in them. If you really do this, it's going to mess you up. You can thank me later. But it's the call, right? To always pray for all the saints because we are all in this thing. Every single one of us in this room is struggling in some form or fashion. It's just the reality. We're tired. We're beat down. Kids are wearing us out. Our lack of kids are making us sad. Am I ever going to get married? Right? Or I feel really lonely. Or I don't know how to make ends meet. Or the enemy is speaking lies to me all the time and I believe I'm fully worthless or I'm too tired or too broken or I'm too angry. Or I call up too many things from the past or I live in a place where I won't let go of whatever. Like This is where we all exist. And that's why Paul says, and always pray for all the saints. So this prayer thing becomes this incredible defensive and offensive weapon by which we have full access to the life-giving breath of God, right? And you always keep on praying for all the saints. Be alert. That becomes the great and powerful call of the Christ follower, a call to prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place for the truth of your word, for the power that comes out of one singular verse. Lord, make us some men and women in a church that prays, that deeply is committed to that prayer, that deeply is committed to the fact that we are called to something much bigger than ourselves. That we are called at all times in the spirit to pray on all occasions with all kinds of requests to be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints and not that you would do something different in them, but that you would do something different in us, that we would be alert to the battle around us, and we would pray for the hearts and lives of those that we go to battle with on a daily basis. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, make this worship our heartfelt cry to a God who redeems and restores, a God who calls us to something mighty, for we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and we fight back. So come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.
1: say this mountain can be moved they say these chains will never I will never change. They- lead out to him, there is power. See
0: So it's a powerful truth, God, that God can move the unmovable and he can break the unbreakable. We believe in all these things because God is who he says he is. He calls us to be a men and women of prayer, to be alert, to go to battle on the offensive and defensive, to combat the war around us, to fight the enemy and to fight for each other, to be alert, right, and to always keep on praying for all the saints. Go in peace.